Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say that we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be celebrating your national champion, University of Kansas Jayhawks. Oh, it's a very, very special episode of the Keeper of the Games podcast. Is this episode 95 or 96? Who freaking cares? They won the whole thing. Baby, let's go. And in my opinion, this is a shut-the-hell-up championship to a lot of different people, which we'll get into in just a moment. We're online, cogsports.com, facebook.com, slash keeper of the games, at cogpod on Twitter, and of course the audio available pretty much everywhere, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Apple, so much more, uh, cogpod.podomatic.com, and you can also watch the videos, like, share, subscribe, ring the bell. Click the check mark, whatever you're watching on. Uh, we're on YouTube and our Facebook page. I am Blake Cripps, joined by Tommy Castor. I believe this is the first time in the history of the program where I have appeared with a hat and Tommy has appeared hatless. And it is the second time in the history of the program that we are talking about a championship, baby. Tommy, uh, you know, just your initial thoughts of uh, what has been a phenomenal week if you're a Kansas Jayhawk. Yeah, the the only thing that I'm uh, disappointed about from the from the week was that the start time of the game was a little too late for me, and uh, <laughs> I I, th- I think that um, you know for those of us Jayhawk fans who have babies, you can all relate to the fact that uh, the game didn't start until 8:20 p.m. It didn't get over until after 10:30 at night. Um, I was pretty darn tired uh, the next day, and that's actually kind of continued. All week long, I don't feel like I've caught up on that. But you know what? Well worth it. Uh, what a game. What um, what a tournament. What a season. Uh, just, what a team. What a team. Uh, what, a, what a program. What a coach. So much to break down. So much to talk about. And I'm excited to get into it. Coming up on the show, we will have a whip around, as always, the ACs and R's, and our 2022 Royals preview. And, yeah, we're going to be talking about opening day. We're doing this late enough in the week. Opening day actually happened today. The Royals are undefeated, but of course, we have to begin with the Jayhawks title. It is their sixth national championship, their fourth NCAA championship. Recapping the final four, the Jayhawks making an absolute mess of Villanova before the Roy Williams Bowl, the first time in college basketball history the two teams met for the national championship game with both current coaches having replaced the same man as head coach at their current jobs. Of course, in this case, it was good old Roy, the Jayhawks and the Tar Heels, two extremely tradition-rich programs. The Jayhawks, of course, expected to be there, a number one seed, maybe not the clear favorite coming into the tournament, but definitely the clear favorite going into the game. UNC, the upstart, number eight seed, playing their best basketball of the season over the last month, and in the first 20 minutes, it showed a 7 nothing run by the Jayhawks to open the game. Then the Tar Heels basically dominated the next 16 minutes of the half on the way to a 15-point halftime lead. They led by as many as 16. It was not enough. KU quickly tied the game up at 50, weathered UNC big pushes, big baskets down the stretch to win the program's sixth national title, their fourth NCAA championship, the final score. 
72-69. And yeah, that wagon is getting pretty heavy if you're a KU fan. Tommy, your thoughts on the 2022 national champion, Kansas Jayhawks. Well, Blake, you mentioned that this is the second time on this program we've talked about a championship. Obviously, the first time was when the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl and uh, you know talked about that uh, big Super Bowl victory against uh, the the San Francisco 49ers. Um, that was discussed on this program, and the reason I bring that up is because I, I'm sure this narrative has been shared before. But there were so many similarities between the 2020 Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs and the 2022 Kansas Jayhawks in a couple of games in March Madness. And I think of the uh, the Elite Eight game against Miami, uh, and then I think about the, the national championship game against North Carolina coming back from big-time deficits with Miami. It was a six-point deficit at halftime that the Jayhawks erased and absolutely dominated the second half, and then they did the same thing to North Carolina in the championship game. That's exactly what the Chiefs did throughout their playoff run and, and their Super Bowl victory uh, in 2020. So I, I, I find that interesting that you're talking about teams that fall behind early and then make up the difference in the long run. Um, hats off to Hubert Davis in North Carolina. Um, classy program. Hubert Davis is just full of energy. I'm sure that everybody <laughs> saw his interview in the first half with Tracy Wolfson. Um, he was, I mean, obviously his team was playing well at that point in the game, uh, but he was, he was chock full of enthusiasm. Uh, and so hats off to him and leading that program, you know, they, they were the eight seed. And so I think a lot of people, would consider them the underdogs, but they were the best team in the month of March uh, leading up to that championship game, the best team in the country, um, the, the way that they clicked. And, th- and then that's what you look for in a program. When you're heading into a single elimination tournament, uh, you want your team to click late in the season. And, you know, North Carolina had some pretty ugly losses early on. It was Hubert Davis's first year at the helm. Uh, a lot of questions about whether or not he was the right choice to replace Roy Williams. He got that team playing incredibly well. Uh, down the stretch in in the ACC tournament and then into the NCAA tournament. Uh, A formidable opponent for Kansas, there's no doubt about it. And for the Jayhawks, man, I tell you what, I I don't know what has happened in the locker room at halftime uh, with Bill Self not only in the championship game, but that game against Miami. And then, you know, they didn't play great against Providence in the Sweet 16 game. Um, It was tough against Creighton in the second round. There had to have been some choice words shared by the head man, Bill Self, in the locker room because throughout the entire tournament, what this team was able to do in the second half of games and just it shows the brilliance of Bill Self and the guy's not immune to criticism at all, um, and, and, and I love not. I love I love Bill Self. I've been a little critical of his rotations at times and things like that. But one thing that he is the best coach in college basketball at, bar none, hands down, is making adjustments at halftime, and he has proven that time in and time out. And he was able to do that at the ultimate level in the championship game against North Carolina hats off to him hats off to that, that squad well-deserving. And it's, it's just fantastic on so many levels that this team, they were able to get another national championship and give bill self his second NCAA title. 
Well, speaking of second, I mean, I had to find this in the closet. I actually don't wear this today, but if you can see, I still got the 2008 National Championship t-shirt. It is tattered. Looking forward to getting the new one. I uh, went with the red model. I'm not a huge ah. fan of the hard work. I, I, everybody's Everything's about buzzwords right now with Adidas and their basketball shirt designs. Not a huge fan of that. But we got a red one coming in that we overpaid for, but so grateful. <laughs> I mentioned, Tommy, that this was a shut-the-hell-up championship in so many different ways. For me, it was to the national critics who are still saying, oh, they're going to vacate this because of the sanctions, which Dick Vitale accurately and pretty plainly said, yeah, that's literally never going to happen. They're never forfeiting any wins off of this team. I don't think that they will forfeit any wins at all, actually. Um, but to all of them, like, oh, KU doesn't run a clean program and all that. Middle finger to them. It was also a middle finger to all of those morons absolute idiots who I'm ashamed to actually share my fandom with who have talked about, we need to fire Bill Self. He doesn't win enough championships, doesn't win enough in March. Those people should be ashamed and shipped to an island in one of those shipping boxes that they, you know, that they <laughs> carry freight from from China. And we should just lose that key on the way over. That's my opinion. Just lock those people up so that I don't have to hear and, and, and don't give them internet either. So they don't have to watch the tear terrible coach that Bill Self is. F you to number uh, number two to them. Also, to all those people who have been critical of David McCormick, where are you at today? Any of you want to make yourself known today and say, oh, yeah, David McCormick, oh, geez, what an underperforming. Without David McCormick, KU is not a national champion, period. I know Ochai he was the best player on the team. For my money, I thought that it was the most outstanding player of the tournament. I thought that was the award. I would give it to Remy Martin, to be honest. But if you're looking at the best player in the Final Four, it's David McCormick. I don't know how they got that wrong, but they did because David McCormick went for 25 in the semifinal game, a season high, went for a double-double, and yeah, he only shot 7 of 15 against North Carolina. I get that, but... Plus 16, he had the best plus-minus in the game, finished with 10 rebounds, and probably should have had a few more. Kiyu did get out-rebounded by 20 in that game, but 15 points, in including maybe the biggest second-chance points this decade from Kansas. I think that's fair to say since 2020, starting with that team, probably the best second, the biggest second-chance points ever, and four huge points down the stretch. So everybody who was talking about David McCormick and we need to play this guy, you know, this guy is not any good, can't help us, you know, they again, again, have a, a big middle finger to them from this team. This team, I think, just had an attitude and an energy, and they were able to just find ways to win. It wasn't always pretty. It didn't always work the way that we thought it would work, but they were able to answer. Some teams play better. Coach Mouse says that the Newman Jets baseball team plays better when we get hit in the mouth. When we lose game one of a series, he thinks the Jets play better. I feel the same about this Kansas team. When they had adversity, when they had the stretch in January, when they got you said, I don't remember the exact words you said, they kind of got elbow dropped by Kentucky a little bit in Allen Fieldhouse. They responded. They played poorly in the first half against Miami. 
responded. Didn't play that well against Providence. Responded in that game to Providence. Responded after the first half against North Carolina. This team, when the chips were down and they weren't playing good and didn't feel good about themselves, they had the mental capacity and the mental energy, whereas Andrew Wiggins could not. Ben McLemore, I'm not saying he shied away from the moment, but he just didn't have enough. The uh, team that lost to Stanford in the second round, that was Wiggins. The team that lost to Oregon, those teams just did not have it when they needed it. This team did. They answered every champion, uh, every challenge, and there's a reason that they're champions. Even the team last year against USC, which was largely the same team this year, Sure. Uh, oh, yeah. They, they did not answer at all. That was something that I think that that team, they learned that lesson from that USC throttling in the second round one year ago. Uh, obviously, they added a couple new pieces, especially Remy Martin. But by and large, the, the same squad from, from a year ago, that same team that Bill Self said needed to get more athletic. And they did in the offseason. But I think they also got mentally tougher and they were able to withstand punches in the mouth and respond appropriately. Uh, going back to your point about uh, the, the shut the hell up and, and, and the, the middle finger, I think it also is a validation that this program is, you always hear the, the term blue blood tossed around, but this mm -hmm. program is for sure the elite of the elite when it comes to modern day programs. We know the history of Kansas and for a lot of times, that's what that's what the fans lean on when there hasn't been a championship in a while. It's, sure, of well, course. You know, you don't win a championship for 14 years. You can say things like, well, yeah, but we invented the game. <laughs> right. We have the you rules. Know, we have the rules in our, in our building. Like you can lean on that sort of thing, sure. but, but make no mistake about it. You look at a program like Villanova, by the way, and Jay Wright is a phenomenal coach. We talked about it last week on the show. He's had two national championships in the last what, five years, six Since years. KU has won one. Right, exactly. And Doesn't so make you feel yeah, very good. Does you it? can, you can rest on your laurels of a historic, illustrious program, but yes, national titles mean the world. And, and it's not just the, the, the storied history of James Naismith and, and, and fog Allen and, and all of that, but it's also leaning on things like, well, we don't necessarily need to win national championships because we win big 12 championships. We, we won 15 in a row. Uh, that that narrative is tired and old. And obviously the fact that that streak is no longer in existence, you can't lean on it anymore, right? Sure. So it's about it's about going deep in the tournament. It's about uh, final four runs. It's about national championships. And, and so I think that this is a big shut the hell up to the, the, the people who say that, yeah, Kansas may have had a storied history, but they are not the elite of the elite. They're not the North Carolinas, the Dukes, the Kentuckys, the Villanovas anymore. And I, I think that you could also, some of those people would argue that, you know, yeah, Kansas won a title in 2008, but they might be on the same tier as your Indianas and your UCLAs and your Arizonas and even your Arkansas who were Indiana. dominant for a while. I'm, you know, I'm saying like they, they won championships a long time ago sure. and the fans still cling on to those and still think that they're an elite program today when they're really not. Now, I think having 
you know, winning a national championship shuts that narrative down. So that that's kind of my my add on to, to your point on that. Also, specifically, I want to respond to David McCormick. And, and I admit, I, I, I rose my hand when you uh, when you mentioned being critical of him. I've been critical of David McCormick. And, on this and show. we both have to at, at times. I mean, I feel like I've been big Dave team, big Dave, certainly all last year. But because yeah. um, he, he had a better year last year, no doubt about it. Sure. But yeah, I mean, game to game, I think that he, he would tell you, that, yeah, I, there are games he didn't play well. Wildly and, and inconsistent. I, I, which is yeah. absolutely fair. Wildly inconsistent, um, but there's there's no doubt, and and I don't again I'm not I'm not gonna come on this show and and excuse away the negative comments on on David McCormick. I stand by them, and I'm also not going to try to defend the biggest David McCormick detractor on this program, which was Weston Mills. Uh, I'm not even gonna try to defend him. I mean he he had the narrative that Mitch Lightfoot is better just all around than David McCormick is, which is absolutely bogus. Um, uh, but so, so I'm not going to try to defend that. I'm going to stand by my my points. And that you should. And said, you should. I, I right, wouldn't that, even say that you were over the line when you. You know, I disagreed, but you weren't to the point where I thought. You know, it was like okay, I need to step in and say something. He, you know, like so like he, Mitch Lightfoot over yeah. David. Like, oh, come on. Had there been a better option than David McCormick, I absolutely would have championed for that person. There wasn't. I, I did think that it would have been great had Bill developed. Uh, Zach Clements or KJ Adams a little bit more, um, but ultimately Dave, he was going to ride with David McCormick. He was the senior. He was the the the, the veteran, uh, other than Mitch Lightfoot, obviously more talented than Mitch Lightfoot. Um, so he was going to ride with him, you know, and and he was going to be Bill's ride or die. Um, that being said. David McCormick 1,000% responded in the Final Four and in the championship game, to your point. Uh, the 25 points against Villanova. Obviously, Villanova, th- their their biggest weakness, their biggest Achilles heel is the post-play. It was, and so it was it, a much better match. I, I mean, Armando right. Bacot is is clearly better in the post yeah. than anybody that, that they had, that Villanova it, had. It just, it just made sense that, that you were going to get a steady dose of David McCormick in that Villanova game, and he responded very well. And But you know what? I agree with you. Armando Bacot is a phenomenal talent. He wasn't playing and, at 100%. He, yeah, but, he wasn't, and but neither was Dave. Right, that's, that's very true. Uh, I thought that I thought that Dave for the most part, hung with Armando Baycott pretty well throughout that game. Um, there were a lot of, what did you think? I thought that there were a lot of fouls that, I, I, I mean, they called, it ended up only being a three foul difference, but he did most of his work at the line. He was yeah. only three of 13 was Baycott from the field. Yeah, I, I thought I thought Dave did a, a fine job on him, and you know what? Agreed. It was it was that much more evident how good of a job Dave was doing on Baycott whenever Dave wasn't in the game, and Mitch Lightfoot was. Um, I, I I like Mitch as a as a guy. I'm sure he's a great guy, Got a proud Jayhawk, all the things. He he was no match for Armando Baycott uh, in the post. There, he, there was he just, just no wasn't, doubt about it. He was not strong enough. I mean, when because Baycott was so big, and he and Baycott is very strong. And Mitch Lightfoot, I think, is better. Was better. I mean, just yeah, his career's over. He's going to be a, you know he's Doctor Lightfoot now. Um, right. But you know, I, he he was better against more athletic guys because I do think that he has better side to side quickness sure. better better you know close out quickness than dave has but against those big power guys on the inside uh he just doesn't have you know the 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 mass that that david has in order to bang in there on the inside yeah and and so i really i felt like you know 
you can point out all of the the negatives, especially in that first half. Um, really, the the biggest reason why North Carolina got the lead that they did it was the second chance points. It was the rebounding, and and that oh, was like, a, they, that they was had like bit, twenty at the half or yeah, something. Yeah, that that was that was just a and they, you know they out rebound. I think you mentioned they out rebounded Kansas by twenty fifty five uh, to thirty five. Yeah, that was the, the, old, the that was the one area where Baycott. I thought was superior. I mean, there were five. Absolutely. Th- there were a lot of individual good performances. There were five double doubles in this game. Yeah. Both yeah. coaches were going with their guys and, you know, they were only using the bench as necessary. Right. And, and, you know, so I, I feel like the, you know, the second chance points, the rebounding um, it's surprising to me because Kansas had, they had won the rebounding battle in the preceding games in the tournament. And then North Carolina just absolutely, uh, they were just dominant on the boards. But what I find offensive rebounds, 24. What I find so ironic is in a game where North Carolina dominated the offensive boards and the second chance points. 28 the to biggest, eight. 28 the, to eight second chance points, Tommy. The biggest offensive rebound and second chance points came from David McCormick. David McCormick. <laughs> and, and so, you know, Carolina out-rebounded and got the second chance points throughout the entire game. But when it mattered most, it was David McCormick and Kansas that, that came up with it. And you know what? I, I think that the fact that Bill, and, and I've been critical of this. I thought, you know, this team has some great shooters on it. Ochai is a great shooter. Uh, Remy Martin is a great shooter. Christian Brown, when he's clicking, is a great shooter. Jalen Wilson, Jalen Wilson can hit shots. I I never I never understood why Bill was so adamant to almost force feed the post like he did and like you've got options to shoot the basketball and this is why Bill Self is a Hall of Fame coach <laughs> he because is. when it mattered the most he went to his guy David McCormick in the post on two straight possessions two straight possessions I, I'm not I'm not gonna lie to you. My butt puckered both times that the ball went down to David McCormick, not because McCormick is bad, but because sometimes McCormick has frying pans for hands and can't always catch the ball very well. And, and, and there was even a time in this game where he tried a turnaround jump shot yeah. early in the shot clock, and it was you know not, not the best decision to take that right. shot at that time. But it worked. It worked on both occasions. Um, you know, great defense in the second half for, for Kansas. It, it reminded me... A lot of the second half against Miami, where we talked about it last week on the show, where the the Jayhawks were able to turn their defense into transition offense. And that happened quite a bit during that comeback. Um, We always talk about Bill Self out of the locker room at halftime. It's not just what the Jayhawks did in cutting that lead down. It's how quickly they were able to do that. And we've seen that happen quite a bit in, in, in Bill's tenure at Kansas, regardless of the team. Uh, They come out of the locker room. And it's just quick and they punch you in the mouth. And what was a 15 point deficit is now down to seven, you know, and within three minutes yeah, and, then it's down to four, and then it's fast happened really fast. There were, you know, there was a, a three pointer made and then there was that three point play by Jalen Wilson, who, by the way, does not get the kudos that he deserves. Jalen Wilson does all the dirty work on that team. And just, you know, I know that there was a, a stretch in that game and I, it might have been the entire game, but a, a good stretch where he was on Brady Manic. And I thought Manic was limited. He after he the got first some, the, the he had that or those early nine yeah. points, he ended up with 13. He only made, I think, 
one basket in the second half. They had those early nine points yep. on three of six three-point shooting. I don't think he hit a three in the second half. And, and that's something, too, that you know my dad talked about when he called me after the game. KU defensively played really well in the second half. Yeah. And Dewan Harris is a guy that, you know, didn't do a lot offensively. We talked about how good he was handling the ball, made some really bad decisions. I mean, that turnover at the end of the game, oh my gosh. Could have really cost him. Yeah. Oh my I was about to like jump down at Buffalo Wild Wings and like throw the TV through the bar <laughs> when that happened. But we have to give him a little bit of credit because sure. he came out with a couple of big steals very early in the second half. And Caleb Love had basically been treating guys like they were preschoolers. Caleb Love went five for 24. RJ yeah, Davis there was, went five for 17. There was in the first half defensively the one of the biggest lapses that Kansas typically has. And one of the things that Bill Self, I know, pulls his hair out over because it's just kind of a trademark of his teams defensively. They don't do well a lot of times in guarding the perimeter and closing out. And uh, especially, post especially, players. especially post players and, and stretching them. Um, that happened big time in the first half. That's, that's a big reason why North Carolina jumped out to that lead too, is they didn't guard the perimeter well at all. And, and Caleb Love and RJ Davis were left wide open. Brady Manick had some open looks too. Um, they did a lot better at closing out defensively in the second half. They forced some turnovers. They, they jumped some of the passing lanes. They were able to, again, turn that defense into offense. Um, and, and when you're able to do that and convert on the other end, you're going to you're gonna go on a run. And so they were able to lock down defensively and then turn that defense into points to cut that lead. That's exactly what they needed to do. It was It's pretty unbelievable when you look at these stats where North Carolina um, you know, outscores Kansas by 10 at the free throw line, by 20 on the second chance points, but KU, and you look at the turnovers in the game, you know, North Carolina had 13, which is not terrible. For an elite team, you want to be, you know, like 10. Kansas had nine. But points off turnovers, 18 to 9 Kansas. Kansas gets eight more points in the paint, and they outscore North Carolina 10 to 2 on the fast break. What a story for this team. Obviously, there are a lot of guys who are not coming back. Mitch Lightfoot, Jalen coleman lands uh, Remy Martin, McCormick, Probably going to be saying goodbye to, to uh, Jalen Wilson as well. Of course, Ochai Abaji. So there's going to be a lot of new faces on next Maybe year's Christian team. Maybe Christian Brown. You, you think? Maybe. I, I worry about his him being undersized. I think, I mean, I, w- I will not be at all shocked if he goes to the combine and takes a look. Yeah, for um, sure. And, and, and gets gets scouted. I, I won't be surprised at that at all. Um, and also, can, can we, we can we mention, though, I, I just want to bring up um, – I was going to bring up Remy Martin. Who that's we exactly that's who I was going to bring up too. Because he, you know, he was minus ten in this game. But you look at look at what KU did from the three point line. Outside, if you subtract him, they were two of eleven from the three point yeah. line. Remy Martin had some of the most gigantic three pointers in the final. And, you know, he did not play his best against Miami, but you know, Ochai and David were there. He didn't really need to do that much. Mm-hmm. Without Remy Martin in the Big 12 tournament and this tournament, like I said, I I don't take anything away from David McCormick. He was the best player in the Final Four, period. Ochai Abaji was the best player on this team, period. But for my money, in the in the NCAA tournament, Remy Martin was KU's 
best player. He told Bill while Bill was sitting him during the year, and Bill talked about this in post game. He said, "How am I going to play you in March when you haven't been playing all year?" It's like, and Remy's like, "No, I got it, Coach. When my knee is good, I got it." And Remy's got it. Remy had it, and that will be one of the most un- improbable stories. You know, and it also is kind of a shut the F up to the fans, too. It's like, oh, you know, the fans, oh, Bill and Remy don't get along. And, oh, my, you know, all this this junk. And it's like, no, he actually just has a hurt knee. And That's it. You know what? Maybe maybe they didn't get along. But you know what? A, a, a national championship will bring you together pretty quick. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think that what what is so remarkable about Remy Martin and his tenure at Kansas um, is what a tenure, you, you, by the way. You think of of all of these heralded one and dones for Kansas over the years, and typically they're they're freshmen coming in. Of right. course, this was a one year, you know, tra- like senior transfer, grad transfer coming in. COVID year, uh, COVID year transfer coming in, and the just the hype around what he could do for the program, and y- the the guys that Bill Self rides with down the stretch are typically guys that, yeah, he he's used the one-and-dones for sure, but they're guys that have been with the program forever. Your Frank Masons, your Devontae Grahams, you know, your Perry Ellis's. Um, the, the, the list goes on and on and on. David McCormick, Ochai Abaji, list goes on and on. And that's typically who Bill rides with. And he saw down the stretch, especially in the Big 12 tournament, that Remy was going to be able to help lead this team. And... Where I think it's a big shut the hell up for people is not necessarily talking about conflict between the two of them, but it's more about the people that in the tournament said, you need to start Remy by what he's able to do on on the court. And Bill wouldn't do it. He was sticking with his starting five. And I think that was smart because Remy provided a spark off the bench. In almost every game. And almost like it was a it was a noticeable difference in energy and pace and tempo. It was palpable when he, for sure, when he would enter the game, that, that was a game changer. And, you know, it's hard for me to wrap my head around Remy Martin being a bench player or a role player as opposed to a starter, but I I don't know, I I don't know if there has been, and maybe there is, and I'm just not thinking of this person. I'm not sure that there's been a more impactful bench player in an NCAA tournament for Kansas ever. Other than Remy Martin, I don't know if there has been someone coming off the bench and making the impact game after game after game down the stretch in March that Remy Martin did with this squad. That's not the role that I would have envisioned him being in at the start of the season coming into Kansas, oh, knowing not. what he did in the Pac-12. But it absolutely worked when it mattered the most. And and I think that's a remarkable story to tell. Bill Self now with two titles. He's now Fifth in NCAA career wins, by the way, in the tournament at 55. He's two behind Jim Beheim, believe it or not, trailing wow. only Coach K, Roy, Dean Smith, and Beheim. One of only 16 coaches with multiple championships, and two of them have had a championship stripped. Uh, since the turn of the millennium, I believe only six coaches have done it Coach K, Roy Williams, Billy Donovan, Jay Wright, and Jim Calhoun, along with Coach Self. KU now tied for sixth all-time in titles, four with UConn. So much going off this year's team, but uh, you know, I'll give you the last word on the 2022 season. How do you look forward? How will you look back on this team? What are you looking forward to on next year's team, the 22-23 Jayhawks? And uh, also, my biggest question is, where are they going to put that banner? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess. That out. 
I know. I guess my, my last word is um, the narrative from this team throughout the entire tournament run. Uh, th- there were there were two. Um, number one was the narrative of they were doing this for the 2020 team that didn't get a chance to experience the tournament run, the Devon Dotson and the Yudoka Azubuki. What a team. cool moment when Bill went over and handed him a hat and yep. said, yep. you should have this. Yep, it, 100%. Um, and so that that carried them. Uh, and then also just the, the, the story of Bill Self's family and losing his dad and, you know, the... Um, don't worry about the mules, just load the wagon mantra that, you know, <laughs> permeated the throughout wagon. the entire tournament, which is just outstanding. And, um, you know, really focusing on the intent and what you're doing as opposed to worrying about the outcome. Uh, and, and so that, that was pretty special. I guess my question is where we talked about the program. We talked about the uh, illustrious, what it does for the Kansas program as a whole. What does adding a second championship do to the legacy of Bill Self? Can can you and I know we're biased because we're Kansas fans, but can you can we now firmly put Bill Self in the category of one of the best coaches in the country? Yeah, I mean I think that he might be the best coach. Coach K just retired. I would say he's the best coach in the country. Period. And Maybe him and Jay Wright. Uh, yeah, I'd probably have Jay Wright too, actually. I think yeah. coach, coach, yeah, him, coach self, Jay Wright. I, the next one that comes to mind is Mark few. Um, right. and then probably Scott drew, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I know yeah. Baylor is not a traditional program, but, and also before we step away, John yeah, Calipari. A little interesting, uh, yeah. Yeah. Calipari. Yeah. Shame on me. Yeah. I'll hot. Hold on. Hold on. I know you'll just cry <laughs> and moan. Yeah, Jim Calipari. Duh, uh, I don't know how I missed that. Um, also, uh, any of the any of the Big Twelve. Let me take this off, uh, just so I can make sure I hear any of the. I, I don't hear any Big Twelve haters. What? Huh? Big Twelve? <laughs> Whoa, Big Twelve. Oh, they don't play anybody. Big Twelve. Oh, that's why they won fifteen straight. Big Twelve's not any good. Oh, oh, you mean oh, you mean the Big Twelve that's had teams in the Final Four 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 straight years and won back to back championships? That Big Twelve. Oh, oh. And Aww. two years ago, had a third team in the national championship game. And, right? and, and, and 2020, you know, had the number one overall seed for sure. That that Big 12. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, Big 12 is not very good. Yeah, yeah, not, not a very yeah. good league. So, so I, I don't know. I guess to answer your down. question, though, uh, just, you know, looking looking ahead to next season, um, you know, what? how does this team replace all the pieces? And, and there are some really heralded young you know, young guys coming in, you know, you look at KJ Adams and Zach Clements and um, what they were able to do in kind of reserve roles this year. Grady Dick coming in, I think is, is going to be um, exciting to watch. You know, he's a oh, McDonald's, yeah, McDonald's All-American. Um, Ernest Uday coming in. Uh, he's su- supposedly the next guy to replace David McCormick in the post. Um, and then depending on the weapons that are coming back, you know, that that potentially could be there. If Christian Brown comes back or whatever that looks like. Um, it's going to be exciting to see, you know, what ends up happening um, with this squad. And, and, you know, not to end the segment on a down note, but you have to min- you have to mention there are still potential sanctions that could be coming down at some point awesome. um, fr- from that independent review board. So that could happen at any point. I'm not, I'm not guessing that it will, it but it could, could also happen 15 years from now. Right. 
you know, so the, the, there's a lot still to look at with this program moving forward. But regardless, um, so exciting, so thrilled for the Jayhawks program. Um, you know, my my teams, the teams that I support more than any other team in baseball, it's the Atlanta Braves. They got a World Series in October. Yeah. The Kansas Jayhawks in basketball, they won a national championship earlier this week. I was just missing the Kansas City Chiefs winning another Super Bowl this year, and I would have had a trifecta on all three of my teams winning a championship in the same year. But two out of three ain't bad. No, two out of three ain't bad. Too bad the Royals aren't any good. Too bad you don't love them. Um, so <laughs> moving on here to our next segment of the show. And it was opening day today as the Kansas City Royals got things started and got the win late, a victory over the Cleveland Guardians. It was so funny to hear uh, Denny Matthews call them the Indians during the game and just not even miss a beat, just keep going. Like, I feel you, Denny. Don't apologize. Keep going. I will call them probably the Indians. I'll be 60 and say, yeah, we're playing the Indians today. Um, But what an unbelievable storybook ending for the Royals as we begin our 2022 Kansas City Royals preview. The Royals, of course, last year started strong, going 15-9 in April, but they had an absolutely miserable spring, a miserable May and June that saw them lose 37 out of 55 games, taking Kansas City completely out of contention. They played 500 baseball the rest of the year, though. They were one game under 500 from July to October. Gone the last vestiges of HDH with Davis and Holland. Some uh, very suspect pitching and Jacob Junis, Mike Miner, Irvin Santana, and Hal, uh, Hanser Alberto both gone. The Royals' Picota projection this year, 70 wins. Zip's projection is 75 and 87. Of course, the big additions, Taylor Clark, Amir Garrett, Zank Greinke, the most notable one lately, with Merrifield getting the contract extension after hitting 277 last year, who's apparently going to play in the outfield after getting absolutely jobbed out of the gold glove at second base next uh, last year, making room for Nicky Lopez. And then, of course, the man that everybody wanted to see, BWJ, Bobby Witt Jr., stepping to the plate today in his major league debut, 0 for 2, with the score tied 1-1, and an elevated inside slider goes to left field. He drives in what turned out to be the game-winning run in his first major league game, his first major league hit, and the Royals win 3-1 to in an opening day win over Cleveland. Zach Greinke gets a, compl- a, a, a quality start in his return to the mound. Man, this could not have been drawn up any better for the Kansas City Royals on opening day. You know what I find so outstanding about opening day for the Royals? Um, and I've mentioned it before, and it's one of one of my my biggest points why I love sports so much. And I've said it on this show. Sometimes there's romance in sports. I believe and that's your wife. That's that, that's that. my wife. I'm you co-opting it and making we'll it mine. From her. I'm co-opting it and making it mine. Um, oh, wow. Did you, did you have permission <laughs> to do that? Wow. She, I don't know if she, she won't do that. Know. She won't know. Uh, it's not like she listens to the podcast anyway. I mean, you're, you're um, so, and maybe if we were still dating, she would, but now we're married now. She doesn't <laughs> listen. Um, but my, my point being is that you had on opening day in 2022, the most heralded Royals prospect deliver the game-winning hit <laughs> while the last most heralded prospect for the Royals 
started the game in Zach Greinke. There hasn't been another more heralded or two more heralded prospects for this Royals organization than Zach Greinke was back in what, 2006, 2007? Whenever, yeah. Whenever he came up. And then Bobby Witt Jr. in 2022. And their time overlapping in the major leagues will be brief. A year or two, maybe. Zach Greinke doesn't have a ton of time left, I wouldn't think, in in the league. Wanted to end it where it started. But right now, they get to overlap, and they got to overlap on opening day. And Zach Greinke delivered a quality start. Bobby Witt Jr. delivered the game-winning hit in RBI. Uh, And and so that's just just incredible. Um, I'll tell you, uh, mark my words, and we can revisit this at the end of the season. The Royals are going to be a better baseball team than what people think they are going to be. I believe the Royals will finish above 500 this year. Will it be wow. enough for them? Will it be enough for them to get into the playoffs? I didn't, I don't I don't know. I don't think so. Um, you know, that's th- a big still, prediction. They're still well. They were only one game under 500 at the end of last season, uh, right? I mean, well, no, no, they, no, 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 no. They the last they three played, months I'm talking the, about the the last three months of the season. They finished one game correct. under 500. Yes. So I mean, they the, had May that. May and June were real bad. Then they started hot well, last year. Yeah, May and June were real bad last year, but that's almost a year ago. You know, the, their their momentum throughout the the last three months of the season. And was I'm not trend- saying you're wrong, by was, the way. It was trending positive. I'm I'm still not convinced that the the 2022 Royals are a playoff quality team. Uh, they might still be a year or so away from that. I mean, you think of guys like Nick Prado and MJ Melendez, and obviously the pitching that they have in in the farm system. They've got some guys that that they're they're banking on alongside obviously Bobby Witt Jr. to usher the new era of Royals baseball in. We still might be a year away from that happening, but I think this team will be better than than they were last year. Like I said, I think they'll finish better than 500. It might be a game better than 500, but I think that they'll be there. The 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 offense should be better. With with obviously Bobby Witt Jr. in the lineup, uh, you know, assuming that Al- Adalberto Mondesi can stay healthier this season, Whit Merrifield um, is going to continue to do what he does. If Salvador Perez, you, you would have to think that Salvi would have a little bit of a drop off from what he was I able to do last season. So. I mean, that's going to be hard to replicate again this year. But regardless, he is always a weapon offensively. Um, you would think that offensively, this team, uh, they returned Carlos Santana, who was a bright spot offensively last year for them. So, you know, I, I think that offensively, he was a, there were times, he didn't hit for average, that's for sure. But I was going to say, provided, two, two and change, I, I, I'd like to see, I would put him in the camp of disappointing season last year offensively. He provided, he provided some power, you know, for them, for sure. I mean, they, they, they've got some role players there that, you know, continue to, you know, produce. So I think offensively, it, it's there. It was there last year for the most part. I think it's going to continue to be there in a bigger way this year. The pitching is obviously the question, but they've, they've added, obviously, Zach Greinke and Amir Garrett. My question was with Greinke is, what is, what is his longevity look like all season long? He is getting older. Um, you know, he's not going to be a guy that's going to be pitching deep into games a lot of the time. He pitched, what, five and a third uh, today or five and two thirds today. Um, so he's not, you're not going to see him pitch complete games. 
He doesn't have a commanding fastball anymore, but he's crafty. Uh, he's five and two thirds. You're correct. Five and two thirds. He can, you know, he throws like a. I think I saw like a 68 mile per hour curveball. You know, so he's <laughs> he's found ways to stay relevant in today's sure. game. Um, you know, so I think it's just going to be a question mark of what what what's the pitching going to be able to do? Can the Royals? They're, they they should be able to get run support, but can the pitching back them up to at least allow them to be in in the position to win some games? It, Royals review in their Royals preview had a really interesting point about the Baseball America Minor League Players of the Year and how they have done to try to extrapolate what you can expect from Bobby Wood Jr. Because I think the article is totally correct. There's a lot of volatility when you bring a minor leaguer up. When we saw what happened when the Royals brought up a couple of minor leaguers to pitch who weren't ready and how disastrous that turned out to be. But they said it's a little bit different when you're bringing up minor league players of the year. I mean, you go all the way back to Joe Maurer in 2003. I mean, six-time All-Star. Alex Gordon is on that list. The other guys, uh, Mike Trout, Will Myers won Rookie of the Year, uh, which, I mean, he played for the Royals. Uh, uh, Byron Buxton won a gold glove. Chris Bryant's still in the league. Ronald Acuna Jr., Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I mean, a lot of guys who have played really, really good baseball. So I think you may be able to expect him to have a big year. I think offensively, when you look at the Royals and what they're going to be able to do this season, when you look at the expected starting lineup and who actually played today, last year, one of these guys was also on the list. The other guy is no longer with the team. That was Jorge Soler, which I know that you have largely a completely different opinion of Mr. Soler than I did, because Mr. Soler, while he was wearing this shade of blue, was awful. Now, when he was playing for you and he's wearing closer to this shade of blue for the Braves, he was great. But for the Royals, he, he was, sucked. He was. Um, I'd like to point out, though, he's no longer a Brave. So I wish him well. Um, he, he, <laughs> I signed mean, he, contract the, it, with, he signed a contract with the Marlins. Uh, you know what? And, and you get so, a ring. You can, you can go on your way. Yeah, God, who is that? That's Johnny Cueto. You know what? Come right. get, a, get us a ring. Have God bless you, man. We'll cheer ben for Zobrist. you when you come back. Thank, thanks for your contribution, Ben, ben Zobrist. Zobrist. Enjoy your time. God with bless the Cubs. you. Um, the, you know, but for me this year, it's Hunter Dozier and Carlos Santana. These two guys cannot hit 215 again. And the Royals, if you, if we're basing this on the assumption that they have the potential to get to 500, I'm not saying that I believe that they're going to get there, but I think they have a chance. It's not like last year. I don't remember what did did Weston say they were going to get to 80 wins last year. I don't remember. Like last year, I thought they had zero chance to get to 80 wins. I think that they may have a shot this year, but if Carlos Santana and Hunter Dozier hit in the two teens like they did last year, no chance that that's going to happen. I think Raul Mondesi at shortstop, can he play more than 40 games? Because if he can't, the Royals need to get divorced from Mondesi this year. That has to happen. Nicky Lopez, I'm all in. Nicky, what else do we need to see? He is not a modern-day baseball player. Grow up and get over it. He's not going to hit a bunch of home runs. He's not going to do the things that sabermetrics say that you need to do. He's going to go in, play great defense. He's going to get on base. He's going to be a contact hitter. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Not everybody on your team has to hit home runs. He's a smart defensive player. He's a smart offensive player. He can execute bunts. I like him. Whit Merrifield obviously has been one of the better contact hitters that the Royals have. Ben Attendee came up with a big RBI late today. Uh, Salvador Perez, he was 0 for 4. Like you said, I 
I, I can't imagine that he's going to have the season this year that he had last year. I, I just, I just don't believe that. But offensively, Santana and Dozier. I think it, the season hinges on them. They hit a combined 215 last year, and their R war was a combined negative 2.7. That can't happen this year if the Royals are going to win 80 plus games. Can't happen. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, you know, I, I think that you look at what um, the, the potential of what Bobby Witt Jr. can bring to this team from a youth perspective, from an energy perspective, the momentum perspective. I, you know, I, 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 I remember a year ago predicting on this show that Bobby Witt Jr. would win the Rookie of the Year last season. He didn't play a single game for the Royals. So um, I was off on that prediction. I would like to extend that you prediction gonna, You're going to take your year. shot here in 2022? Let's go ahead and take my shot and say, hey, sure. he might win Rookie of the Year in 2022. But um, I agree with you to a point when you're talking about Dozier and, and Santana. But I'm less concerned about if they're hitting 215 a piece or 245 a piece or whatever. And I'm more concerned just about the depth of the pitching staff. Um, and, sure. and, and what, you know, need to, have, need to talk about that for sure. What, what can, what can the Royals bring? We, we know that the, the bullpen is, I, I think it's solid. The, bull, the bullpen, is, I, I was going to say adequate is the word. It's okay. It's an okay bullpen. I mean, it's I not a dominant Bar- bullpen. Don't you like Barlow and Starmont, I like Barlow. Though? Sure, sure. But, uh, you know, they're, they're not. You look at some of these other bullpens that, you know, other teams have around the league that the firepower is just overwhelming. You know, the Dodgers bullpen. And, you know, I'm biased, but the Braves bullpen. And there are some other teams that have really, really solid bullpens. Um, I, I, the Royals, I don't think are quite at that level. It's okay, but it's starting pitching. It's making sure oh. that you're not relying on your relievers for five innings every game. Uh, you've got to have some longevity and some depth and some effective pitching coming from that starter position. That was a major issue last year on the team. Yeah. Dayton Moore went out and got some fixes this year but I'm not sure it's a transformative change with the pitching staff. I don't think it, I'm not sure that the additions that were made, I like Zach Greinke. I like Amir Garrett, not sure that they're difference makers to the point to where it's going to contribute to a significant more amount of wins for the Royals. Maybe I'll be moved, be proved wrong, but that's going to be the biggest question mark that that pitching staff is going to have to perform at a higher level this year. And I mean, your, your concerns about Garrett are very well founded. I mean, his ERA last year was over six and he averaged five and a half walks per nine innings, which is bad. Um, I think for me, I think that it's all going to hitch on Brad Keller, to be honest. Um, Zach Grinke, I think, I, I think he'll have a solid year. I, I think if you get him in the 3.8s, I think he'll be very happy with, with Zach Grinke. I really liked at times what the Royals got out of Carlos Hernandez last year. Maybe there's durability concerns. Maybe, you know, they're they're not con- convinced that he can give them the the volume of innings, but I would like to see more Carlos Hernandez. I really like what he gave the Royals last year. Had the best returning ERA of any starter. Brad Keller, I mean, it's been pretty highly, you know, documented right now. I really like Star, uh, Barlow and Stallman out of the bullpen. And Brent's pitched pretty well today in, in opening day. So those three guys at the top of the pen I think are, are okay. Taylor Clark, to me, is kind of a, a mystery guy that could go either way. To me, it's all about Brad Keller. Bubich, I, I don't know what the ceiling is. I don't think the ceiling is that high on him. And you already know what I think about Daniel Lynch. 
I'm not looking forward to seeing him pitch here this opening week at all. He's had a long, long time to, to try to get things right there, but it didn't go well last year. He had an ERA of 5.7. Not excited about that. But Brad Keller it had a, a very bad, a very underwhelming 2021 season. And it was big news in the offseason. They felt like they discovered a mechanical flaw late in the season in his delivery. And they say that it's fixed. We're going to find out because I think he's starting Saturday, I think. But if Brad Keller can be who we thought that he could be, I think that this could push this team from being where the projections are at 75 wins. I think you could pick up five more wins real easy if you have a Brad Keller that reduces his ERA by a run or a run and a half. I think all of a sudden you could be flirting with 80, 80 wins pretty easily. Um, I think I think the Royals have a tendency uh, from an organizational standpoint where they sometimes hang on to players longer than they should. Um, sometimes, that's not, sure. That's not always the case. You know, you look at guys like Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakis. I mean, there, there was you know, that one like year that. after the World Series runs. They said, you know what? Let's give these guys one more year, yeah. see how it looks. And there were a lot of math people, sabermetric people that said, you know what? You need to cut ties with them. But... I, and I, I think some of it. I think some of it is financial. You know, I think that if they've made well, a, an, yeah. a, if they've made an attractive financial commitment to the team, like if the if it's a, if it's a team friendly contract, then in a smaller market like Kansas City, you sometimes want to hang on to that guy regardless of the performance. And, and those because, guys were so such fan favorites. Hosmer, right, Mustakas. Right. I mean, everybody in Kansas City loved those guys. They were yeah. great in the community. You know, so I, I, my, my point in saying that is that occasionally I think that that rears its ugly head in the pitching staff where guys get hung on to a little bit longer than they should. Um, you know, Chris Bubich is kind of a middle of the road guy. Um, I don't think he's a huge difference maker one way or another. He's there. He's not going anywhere, at least this season, it doesn't seem like. But there is one guy who, you know, left Kansas City had been there his entire career was drafted by the Royals and signed with the giants. That's Jacob Junis is no longer with the team. And so, you know, he was granted free agency. He went and signed with the giants. So it's not, I would like to see the Royals start to look at guys. If they're not performing at a high level, especially when you get this deep into a rebuild, when you're starting to want to see some progress, if guys are not performing up to snuff, if you can, you gotta you gotta make a change because th- this this organization cannot suffer through more and more years of this rebuild. Like you've you've got to start to turn a corner, and so I think it starts with the pitching staff. We'll wrap it up on this. Royals review actually has a poll at the bottom. I'm going to ask you the poll question: How okay. many games will the Royals win in 2022? 95 or more? 90 to 94? 85 to 89, 80 to 84, 75 to 79, 70 to 74, or are they going to be bad and win 69 or less? Well, I mean, I kind of already said it. I I, I think that they'll win 80 to 84 games. That's kind of where I stand. That is the most popular choice with 52% of the vote. They're not sponsoring this show, but I'm giving them free plug anyway. I am going to go with 79 wins. That would be a five-win improvement. 
I think 79 wins, and I think that at the end of the year we'll say, man, we could have, if with just a little bit better pitching, could have won 85 or 86. I'll go with 79. That's the second most popular choice. Believe it or not, um, 5% of people think that the Royals are going to win more than 95. I'm like, uh, they must have had something a little bit strong. Must have been KU fans <laughs> coming down off of the win. We will see how that works out. The Royals are next in action against Cleveland coming up on Saturday for a 3 o'clock first pitch from uh, Kansas City's Kauffman Stadium. And that's going to wrap it up on the show for us. Just one last piece of business to do, and that is to hit the music. It is time to go around Wichita with the Wichita Whip Around, see what else is happening around the air capital and sports this week that you maybe need to know about. Tommy, what's your Whip Around for today? Well, of course, we talked baseball, so you got to mention the Wichita Wind Surge. They uh, start their opening day uh, here very shortly. This weekend, actually, is opening weekend. Friday night uh, is opening day uh, for the Wichita Wind Surge. And so, obviously, the second season downtown in Wichita, um, that team went to the playoffs a year ago. Obviously, expectations are high for them to repeat and have another strong season. One thing I do want to mention, though, about the wind surge, it's not all positive with with Wichita. I don't know if you had a chance to see this in the Wichita Eagle. It actually came out on Thursday, and I feel feel like it's worth at least mentioning. There was an investigative article that that was released talking about hidden fees around the ballpark at Riverfront Stadium and how the team has put, I think it's an 8% additional fee on everything, on concessions, merchandise, tickets, that it's apparently not been disclosed to the public before this time where you go and you buy something and all of a sudden you're paying a significantly higher amount because of these hidden fees. It's a ballpark development fee, which the CEO of the wind surge said basically can be used by the team. However, they see fit. So not all positive, uh, but it is what it is, regardless, going back to the actual baseball aspect of it. Uh, excited to see what the wind surge can do this season. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that. I think that, you know, affordability, especially right now, is big, especially with uh, the great deal that they got with uh, the land down here. Yeah. Um, so not a huge fan of that. But um, I know that they have some big events planned. It's a 7-15 first pitch for Friday, and I believe that there's supposed to be a flyover if the weather is good, which it is supposed to be very nice baseball weather. Maybe a slight bit chilly coming up on Friday, but it um, uh, should be a, a great atmosphere out there. I will be out there for a couple of those games uh, for the season opener. Uh, you'll be out there, season ticket holder? I I will not be out there this weekend. Oh. I'm, I'm not sure when my first game will be. It might be... There's, I think it's April 20th. They're doing a day game in the middle of the week, and so you know my my office with the Wichita Thunder is directly across the street from Riverfront Stadium, and so if it's a day game, you might find me sneaking across the street during the workday. Don't don't tell my boss. I, I might go over there and, and and watch the wind surge. Um, I was going to ask you though. Uh, are you, what was I going to ask you? Oh, I know what I was going to ask you. Are you broadcasting any games? Is that why you're going out there? No. You're just going out there to watch watch baseball? Uh, I will be filling in on the PA for those games. Okay. All uh, right. so no, we will not be broadcasting. 
on on ESPN 92.3 for those games. Although, I mean, if they asked me, I would do it. But, I mean, I, th I think Tim Grubbs has probably got it. My Wichita whip around is going to be uh, on the golf course as uh, Felisa Sajulga of Newman University has been named the MIAA Women's Golfer of the Week. She had a record-breaking round, set a program record with a 67, a minus 5, at the Newman Invitational at Sand Creek Station. Uh, it was four strokes uh, lower than the women's collegiate best round at the course. She led after day one. Now, you remember earlier this week, Tommy, how windy it was on Tuesday. She did not navigate the wind as well. A 77 on day two finished in second place, but an all-time program record. The Jets are actually going to be hosting the MIAA tournament, not next week, but the week after that. So it was a very competitive field because a lot of the MIAA schools said, hey, let's go down there and get a free look at what we're going to be playing the MIAA championships on. So for her to do that at the Jets home course, huge to maybe get a chance to compete there for an MIAA title here in a couple of weeks. So that is our MIAA and our Wichita whip around. Finally, we go to our additions, corrections, and retractions. Anything you'd like to add, Tom? Anything we messed up? Yeah, I mean, one thing that I want to add, actually two things that are kind of semi-related. First off, uh, I've played Sand Creek Station when it's not <laughs> nearly as windy, and I can't shoot anywhere close to 77. <laughs> so that's that's really impressive. That was our, bad, um, that was our worst round. And, and speaking of golf... Uh, and I know it's not Wichita related. I can't believe that we've not mentioned the Masters, which is kicking Hello, off this friends. weekend. Uh, it's a tradition unlike any other. And of course, <laughs> we've got to mention uh, the Masters. But when we're recording this show, day one is in the books and Sung J M has a lead. It's my favorite golf tournament of the entire year to watch. Uh, I would say it's first place. Second place has got to be the Ryder Cup. Um, I do love but, the Ryder but, Cup. But from there, Cup it's, it's is a lot of fun. Too. Will you be watching any of the Masters this weekend? Uh, I, I think so. I have not watched as much golf. It's weird how I've gotten more friends and become more social, how much less sports I watch. It's oh. crazy because, I mean, you when I was antisocial, I had nothing to do. Yeah, every every golf tournament, every major, and usually they, like the players, Solheim Cup, uh, Ryder Cup, yeah, I'm all over it. Now it's like I got people to see and stuff to do. It's not, you know, unless there's somebody like Gary Woodland in contention. By the way, Tiger Woods five shots or four shots back yeah. with a minus one. Um, I do have a couple of uh, additions to make as well. Uh, obviously, the biggest one I think that we've got to get to is Dexter Dennis and Morris Udeze announcing that they are entering the transfer portal, yeah. likely bringing an end to their seasons at Wichita State after arriving. Are there at any players left in this program? Uh, I mean, I think that there are like five, possibly. <laughs> Tyson Etienne is still yeah, there. True. Yeah, so, I mean, he's right. he's really good. Um, you know, there's a lot of of uh, talk about some big prospects who have come into Wichita yeah. State that Wichita State is on, but hasn't haven't exactly been signed yet. And the last I looked, uh, like there are like 25 schools that are going after Dexter Dennis apparently. And just reporting, John Rothstein says that Seton Hall is also interested now, along with Texas A&M. He's gotten, apparently, interest from, yeah, like 12 schools. The biggest ones, Virginia, Georgia Tech, Clemson, Iowa State. 
So I don't want him to see the, don't want him at Iowa State. Yeah. Uh, West Virginia, I don't want to see him there either. LSU, Indiana, Wake Forest, mm-hmm. some of the, the Power Five programs there. Uh, also, uh, Jace Fisher of Newman Wrestling has been named an NWCA, a National Re- Wrestling Coaches Association Division II Rookie Wrestler of the Year finalist. That's a very big honor for here, a finalist for the Rookie Wrestler of the Year. And that Look at is- you throwing two Newman stories into the show today. You're almost like Weston wanting to talk about Southwestern all the time. Um, they're both pertinent, and unlike Weston, who brings up stuff from you know Southwestern or you, uh, they're actually in Wichita. So hello, okay. of course I'm going to prop up the jet. I think you can consider Winfield. Winfield is part of the Wichita metro. Thank you very much. Metro area? They're like corn. There are cotton fields in between us and Winfield. What are you talking about? Metro area. 40 minutes away. It's not that far. We are going to be off for a couple of weeks. Uh, we will decide. Uh, we've been, we've done three straight shows, so uh, we we're gonna take we're off next week. Obviously, no matter what, we're probably gonna be off the next two weeks, 100. We may take three weeks off, but when we come back, we're obviously gonna be talking a ton of diamond sports. Wichita State softball, who have gotten off to a fairly decent start, not quite as good as they were last year. Wichita State baseball, not quite as good of a start as we were hoping, a little bit bumpy of a ride. And then obviously uh, we'll be checking in about a month into the season. How are the Royals doing one month into the year? A big uh, milepost there for the Royals when we come back here in two or three weeks. Once again, make sure you like, share, subscribe. Appreciate everybody following. Share it with a friend, cogsports.com. And we're at CogPod on Twitter if you'd like to hit us up. So we will see you here in a few weeks. For our beloved audio listeners, Tommy, how can they find you on Twitter? You can follow me anytime at Tweets from Tommy. And I am at B.E. Crips, B.E. Crips on Twitter. We'll see you in a few weeks. It's never too late to start celebrating, guys. <laughs> National champions, baby, let's go. This has been the Keeper of the Games. Rock Chalk Jayhawk and take care, guys. KU. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G pod.